0: Take your Bibles and uh, open up to James chapter 3, James chapter 3, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you around there, and if you're using one of those, it's about page 1200, it's where you should be, and uh, if you're joining us online or you're listening to this, I'd encourage you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you as well as we continue through uh, our series in the book of James. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member and yet it boasts great things. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Father, as we step into this today, may you open our eyes and help us as we pursue walking like Christ and in this specific text controlling the words that we speak. For your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So research actually estimates that we speak upwards of 7,000 or more words every day. Now depending on where you look, you may actually find different totals for that. Some people say we speak upwards of 16,000 words. However, it kind of depends on the person, right? Some people can talk a lot and others, not at all. The reality being, though, we speak often. We speak for our jobs and our parenting and our relationships across the board. Words bring great joy when we stop and consider. Consider the moments, even as a parent, when your child speaks for the first time. Where you can understand it. But in the same breath, many of us I would arguably say all of us have experienced the absolute detriment of words, heavy sorrow in the face of rebuke or abuse. And at the end of the day, we must come to kind of a central conclusion rooted in James teaching to his brothers and sisters in Christ and if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to cling to this truth that there is power in our words. There is power in our words. What we say carries great weight. Uh, the first truth that we see in James chapter 3 that emphasizes this is that our words have the power to guide. Our words have the power to guide. Uh, It's interesting here that James chapter 3 begins with an exhortation to teachers. And in fact, a discouragement from teaching. Not many of you should become teachers. And the question we should ask is, why? Because we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I don't like this passage. (laughs) But it's important. This is interestingly enough a passage we came back to in the last couple of years as leaders in the church, because for a long time there was kind of this span that if you wanted to teach in the church, you could just say, "Hey, I want to teach," and there was no process of evaluating should you be teaching. And we went, in fact, we actually looked looked and said, the people who work with within our children's ministry go through more rigorous oversight than people who are teaching our people. And we went, this should not be so. (laughs) This is not okay because James actually tells us the one who teaches is going to be judged with greater strictness. Therefore, it should look different because the standard is different. The accountability is different. The warning here emphasizes those of you who speak words carry a weight that others do not carry. This is especially true, church family, when it comes to the teaching of God's Word. But it carries over, and many of you could testify in your own lives to the impact, positive or negative, of a good or bad teacher. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because we know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There's power to guide in our words. The examples then that this mentions is the horse and the ship. (laughs) If we put a bit in a horse's mouth, it guides their whole bodies. It's it's such a small thing, right? The tongue is such an interesting entity. The, The really challenging piece of this is in our modern day and age it's not even just the tongue anymore but in fact oftentimes how many words are we communicating through something like this how many words are we communicating as we type something how many words are we communicating in other senses and what weight do those words have You see, we fall into this trap in our flesh and end up justifying ourselves in the words we say without really stepping back and looking at them through a lens that is biblical. And in so doing, we, whether intentionally or unintentionally, steer the course of our lives in a specific direction. You see, if we really step back and are honest with ourselves, every one of us is directing the course of our lives in some direction. The question is, which direction? Every one of us has the opportunity to direct our lives in what we say and how we teach and how we walk with others towards a focus that is biblical. But many of us choose, willfully choose, to direct our lives back into a worldly way of thinking and acting. We need to realize there's power in our words, power to guide. If I'm to step back and evaluate the words that I use in the conversations I have, what are my words aiming for? What does that look like? Look at the ships. They're large and are driven by the strong winds, and yet they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts great things. How easily we can become passive to the wind or the wanderings, right? How easily we become weary of redirecting back to what is true over and over and over again. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of you that have experienced seasons where if you're to look at the illustration of the ship, these winds are strong. And you're feeling tossed every which way. And yet, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, that according to God's Word, you have the ability to steer the ship. Now, if you're going to ask, can I steer the ship of culture? That's a much bigger vessel. But how does culture change? It starts with me realizing I can redirect the course of my own life. And in fact, the thing that I'm held responsible for is my own life. The choices I make, the words I speak, the things that I do or don't do, that's what I'm held accountable before God for. And yet, too often we concern ourselves with where other people are at in the midst of this, don't we? It's interesting. Christ, in Matthew chapter 12, associates this whole, this concept. It's, it's really interesting in in verse Two, we all stumble in many ways. Everyone agree with that? (laughs) We all stumble in many ways, right? (laughs) And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Able also to bridle his whole body. This is a really interesting statement. The one who can control his tongue is able to bridle his whole body. Now, this is not saying somehow... That if you strive, if if you just fix what you say, then it will fix all the other problems you have. But rather, the emphasis here is if you are in the pursuit of changing how you talk, it will impact every other piece of who you are. Here's where we see that really significant in Matthew 12, where Jesus says to the religious leaders, You brood of vipers, How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. This is another passage I do not like. Do you know why? Because I read that and I go, I will stand before God in Christ and give account for every careless word that I have uttered out of my mouth. And then you, that, that's true for all of us. And then you pile on top of that, that those who teach are going to be judged more strictly. And we should, we should feel the weight of this. We should feel the weight of responsibility for what we say. And in fact, if we look deeper, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Your mouth is often a channel of insight into the condition of your heart. How you speak, what you say, all of this comes back to a focus of at the root of who I am, where am I at? And some of you have powerful testimonies of God's transforming work. And if you look at your life before Christ, you're going, my, my words were terrible. And those who have that testimony would also say, this becoming more like Jesus is not an a switch. And I have to fight my fleshly desires to walk in step with this. And so understand me when I say there is, there is grace that is given to us. However, there are also those of us who claim the name of Jesus that do not give thought to what we say. And it is detrimental to our mission to speak the gospel. It is detrimental. And we're going to see why that's detrimental as we continue forward. But... It, Not only, as we see in James 3, is there the power to guide through teaching, through instruction, through what we say, but there's also the power to destroy. There's great weight given to the words we say, and they can be used for really positive things. Many of you have experienced that, an encouraging word, a card you've received in the mail. A random message from someone unexpectedly that encourages your day. But many of you have also experienced this. Words powers to tear down and destroy. One of the really fascinating realities is if we stop and we consider words power to destroy. You can you can sit here today And you can hear them, can't you? You can hear the words that discourage and defeat. And they come back up. The problem is, is that those of us who've been wounded by words tend to be the most prone to wound others with words. That somehow we've bought into this narrative that because of what I've endured, I'm justified in how I speak. No, no, we're not. Because I'm held accountable and am responsible for my own process of becoming more like Jesus. You know, another really important aspect of this. (laughs) We are responsible for one another's process of becoming more like Jesus. You see, too easily, this becomes an individual pursuit that we hide behind the scenes. And yet, when we see a brother or sister in Christ, we should recognize that James is speaking this to his brothers and sisters, and we should come alongside and say, Brother, sister, we need not speak like this. But we don't do that. Because I'm fearful, you know. And who am I to talk? I fail in many ways. Yeah, we all do. Didn't it say that? We all stumble in many ways. There is, should be a place in our lives for the body of Christ to speak into our lives. And if we're trying to do this on our own, we're gonna fall, we're, we're gonna fail in this so frequently. Because I need other people to look at me when I am stepping out of line who will come alongside and say, brother, I love you, but that was not okay. Brother, I care about you, but there's a different way to go about this same thing. Our words have power, the power to destroy. Look at the example here in verse 5, the second half of verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. This is the correlation again to the whole in this. Setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Now, many of you won't understand the full power of this illustration And I can say that, honestly, because until I lived in the Northwest, I didn't fully understand the power of this illustration. And where we were at in in Oregon, summer is called fire season. And this is true in most mountainous regions where they experience really dry climate. And it would stop raining around April and wouldn't really rain again until September. And... So it was really strange because everything would grow during the winter and then it would all die in the summer. It's opposite of what it is here. I never could figure out when I was supposed to mow. It were truly, it was really confusing. For a Midwestern guy, I was like, what is this? But it got so dry in the summer, there were actually people all summer long who would go into the mountains and they had houses and towers set on top of these mountains and they would live there by themselves and, and were doing fire watch. And some of you are hearing that and going, man, I would love that job right now. The reason is because up out in the middle of nowhere, it would take just the smallest spark to ignite a whole forest ablaze. And so they would sit in these towers and then they would check consistently to see where might fire have started and then they would call it in and the fire crews would come and they would put it out before it could spread to a level that it was uncontainable. The interesting thing is, if anything could cause that. We would get to a point during the summer that you weren't even allowed to use power tools that created a spark because it would potentially start a fire and when you realize, and you, you live there in the midst of that, and there is a fire that starts, uh, oftentimes by lightning, because it's so dry that almost every time lightning strikes it would start another fire. And all of a sudden, the whole valley is encompassed with smoke. Hundreds of thousands of acres destroyed by a spark. When you see that in person and then you look and you see the devastation, the reality is what existed there before will never look the same again. When there is fires that ravage through in that way, it changes the whole fabric of the landscape. And where this ties in so directly with James' instruction is to recognize it doesn't take much For you to wreak havoc on your own life and the lives of others. That simply by being careless with what you say. You could forever change the landscape of someone else's life. In a good way or a very bad way. And those of you who have experienced that can testify to that. Now there's great hope in this. That springs true from this illustration because as the seasons taper off and the rain comes and people intentionally replant these areas that have been devastated by fire, there is new growth. And that new growth springs forth and the green accents off of the burning coals that the fire leaves. And so in that, I want you to picture that in the illustration. Those of you who've experienced the scorching power of someone else's words to know that that is not the end. But in fact, in Christ and in healthy community, we actually have the opportunity And the same power that was used to destroy to bring new life into someone else's life. But it starts by us realizing how easily we can wreak havoc simply by our words. The later part of verse 6 reveals that when we allow our words to cause destruction, we in essence... Allow our words to be directed by Satan himself. Such words don't just damage the individual, but cause damage to the whole body. Our careless words damage the reputation of the church, and in so doing damage the reputation of the gospel. There is power in our words. Now all of this no doubt creates a dilemma of which we should have a yearning to solve. Is there any way to make it stop? Is there any way to tame this ravenous, destructive beast that is our tongue? Verses 7 and 8. Every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. There is no human being Who can tame the tongue? Many could testify that they have tried in and of their own power to do this and yet have fallen short. So easily riled up, so easily brought to anger, so prone to just let it out. (laughs) Me too. What do we do then? Is there hope? In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I want to take you for a moment back to the book of Galatians. So put your finger in James chapter 3 and turn back with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Some of you will remember Galatians 5.16. We memorized that as a church. But we're going to read to the end of chapter 5 from verse 16. And I want you to I want you to look at this with the eyes of asking the question, is there hope? As James says, no one can tame the tongue. Um, What then? What then do we do? Galatians five sixteen it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not everyone say not, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Here's a list sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I always love that tag on the end that makes it all-encompassing. It's not just these, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. Everyone say self-control. Self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I can't tame the tongue, but I can live in a way that is self-controlled. Many people use the illustration, and uh, we've used this with our kids before, of a toothpaste tube, right? You squeeze it out, and you say, put it back in. You can't. Now, where that illustration falls apart is I guarantee that some engineer is going to look at that and go, I could do it. I could put it back in. The reality is once we speak, the words are out. It's done. and We can't put them back. Whatever damage takes place because of my words has already been done. I cannot undo that. But I can strive to live a self-controlled life that walks in the spirit and not the flesh. This brings me to the last focus area in James chapter 3, which is this. Authenticity shows Consistency authenticity shows consistency. Look at the contrast that's made in verse 9, of which we're very, very guilty of. With it, it being our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. In Genesis, when God created man and woman, He created them in whose image? In God's image. Church family, the intrinsic value of humankind is in the reality that you are made in the image of God. When you speak with another image bearer, you ought to consider they are God's creation. It doesn't matter how much they have upset you, they are God's image bearer. And the contrast here is the sense that with the same mouth we come and we bless God and we praise Him and we thank Him and we give Him all the glory and honor and then we walk out and we blast the very bearers of His image. Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And here's The major exhortation in this, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. We have all these examples, and then he gets to his point in saying, there is something wrong here. Because we care about, and I'll bring it to present day context, we care about honoring God when we're in church. We care about loving and honoring Him on Sunday. But then I walk out of here and I get on my social media, and ooh, this person I can't stand them. I'm gonna let them have it. I'm gonna give them a piece of my mind. Or we go to lunch, right? And the server doesn't serve the way I think they should serve. And so what do we do? Oh, I can't. Believe it. I'm not. I'm not leaving them a tip. Mark, can you believe the service here? Service has fallen apart. I have no idea what this person's life is consisting of right now. What am I thinking? I'm not. I am walking in my flesh and not walking according to the Spirit of God. Now, I am not saying... I don't want you to, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I am not saying there's not a place for rebuke, for correction, for training. In fact... First Timothy says that God's Word is able to do that. It's important. It's important to speak truth. But how am I speaking? How am I using my words? What am I guiding people towards when I open my mouth? Because our words have power. More specifically, what do my words reveal about my heart? What do the things I say reveal about what really matters to me? And your words may not be wrong, but your tone very well might be. What you say may not be untrue, but your motives behind that may not be biblical. What do my words reveal about my heart? Now this is ultimately not saying that if I figure out how to Once again, control my tongue. All else will fall into place. But the pursuit of that will be transformative. Out of the recesses of the heart, the mouth speaks. To close this, I want to give you some practical how-tos. How do I start putting this into practice? How how do I begin? And I'm just going to give you four practical ways you can start to live this out and recognize the power of our words and walk in this faithfully. Number one. Number one practice silence we are really bad at this psalm 46 verse 10 says be still and know that i am god be still proverbs 10:19 says when words are many transgression is not lacking But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Practice being quiet, both in person and digitally. Restrain yourself. Secondly, goes along with this listen twice as long as you speak. This goes back to an earlier section of James, doesn't it? Everyone should be quick to listen or hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. There's a theme here. We should practice silence and we should seek to listen twice as long as you speak. Now, that that is not a biblical recipe. That's just what I wrote down. You may need to listen three times as long as you speak. I don't know. The emphasis is meant to be listen more. Speak less. Especially if you're being driven by emotion. Thirdly, go out of your way to be encouraging. You have no idea how powerful words of encouragement can be. I cannot tell you how many times I have been in a horrible place and someone, someone reaches out and sends me a message or calls me and says, I just want to encourage you. There are weeks that what takes place here was driven by one of you because I couldn't have done it. You have no idea how much your words of encouragement can impact someone else's life. You have no idea. Go out of your way to be encouraging. And my goodness, do it everywhere you go. When you go to lunch today, I know many of you go out to eat. Be intentionally encouraging to your server. Because you have no idea what's going on in their life right now. The last one is really important. Be the first one to apologize. We can't put our words back in, but we can definitely recognize when we've spoken out of turn. And I can't tell you the number of times, you can ask my kids the number of times that I've lost my temper and I've had to come down and sit in their bed and say, Guys, I'm sorry. I, I should not have spoken to you that way. And there's no... We, we all stumble in many ways, right? <laughs> we don't do this perfectly. But I'm going to tell you, there is power when we model a heart of confession and repentance. It's healing. It's healing. And when you, when you realize you've messed up, even if you don't think it really bothered the other person, go out of your way to be the first person to apologize. I have never heard someone... When I've approached them and said, you know, I'm really sorry for the way that I, I went about that. It was wrong. And even when people go, "It was it's okay. I didn't think anything of it. It doesn't matter. I did. And I had the conviction that my intentions were wrong. So I have a responsibility before God to make it right. Church family, if we practice all of these things, it will forever change the fabric of the culture that we live in. And just as Jesus said in John chapter 13, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. This has to begin right here. Because if we can't practice this amongst each other, we will fail miserably at trying to live it out outside these walls. The gospel will be hindered. Let's not let that happen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And as they do, I'm going to have you stand with me and to close today. Um, we're going to read Psalm chapter 19 together. And the end of Psalm chapter 19, I, I want this to be our prayer as we consider the power and the authority of the words we speak. Okay? <clears> okay. <throat> And so follow along up here. We're gonna, we're gonna read this out loud together before we close in song. Here we go. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, may this be our prayer. That the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. That we would honor you with what we say and what we do. That you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Church family, one last reminder as you go today. It's never too late to reconcile the words that we've spoken. And so as you sit here today, if there's conviction, whether it's with your family, with your spouse, with people in the church or others that you need to write, be the first one to apologize. And follow the Spirit's leading in that. And walk in truth that God might be glorified. Amen. Fathers, we go, may we live this out in truth and in authenticity for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray.